Hello, friends. This is Jessica Ortner, and I'm thrilled to make an appearance here on the Tapping Solution podcast. I have an incredible interview to share with you. But first, I want to share. When I first began to tap, I was attracted to tapping because I felt like I was broken and I was struggling and I wanted to find ways to fix myself. And as I began to really dive into this modality and have my breakthroughs with tapping, I began to realize that I didn't need to fix myself because nothing was broken. I learned about, and not only did I learn about, but I experienced the power of acceptance, accepting how you feel and accepting who you are. And this is the conversation that we need to have, not about change or improving yourself. Sure, we want all those things, but the real power is within acceptance. And a woman who's really leading the conversation on this is an incredible author, Tara Brock. I have been a fan of hers for years and years. She wrote a book called Radical Self-Acceptance, which has touched thousands of people's lives. And her new book is called Radical Compassion. She has a PhD in clinical psychology, and she also spent five years training uh, as a Buddhist teacher. It was a Buddhist teacher training. So now she works with psychotherapists and meditation teachers to teach them how to blend these two modalities to really help people have incredible breakthroughs. We have a fascinating conversation. This is one of those interviews where I finished and I realized, wow, even if no one else heard this and it was just me, I got so much value from it. And I'm so grateful that she took the time. And now I'm grateful to be able to share it with you. So before we start, just one quick note, if you haven't downloaded the Tapping Solution app, please do so. We are in the middle of a really challenging time with the pandemic, and we have an entire section focused on releasing anxiety around the coronavirus. All these tapping meditations are unlocked and absolutely free. So you can listen to them, but I also recommend that if you know someone who's struggling, tell them about the Tapping Solution app. Again, free tapping meditations, and the results really are incredible. So without any further ado, here is Tara. Welcome to the Tapping Solution Podcast. I'm Alex Ortner, and along with my brother Nick and my sister Jessica, we've helped millions of people around the world for over 10 years to transform their lives. And all using the brain rewiring, energy shifting, out of this world amazing technique known as tapping. Each week, I'll be sharing information, strategies, tapping, and at times, inspiring interviews, all to help you live your best life. Tara, welcome. Thanks for being with us. My total pleasure. Well, I needed to stop our conversation and start recording right away because I feel like I could chat with you forever. And we were talking about my, I have a baby who's one, you're a mother and a grandmother, And it's amazing to watch these little beings evolve. And I feel like, I don't know about you, but now that I have so much more knowledge around emotions and why we are the way that we are, it's incredible to see a a child evolve and kind of what my part in it and in helping him kind of accept his feelings and communicate 
being a, a mother or a grandmother, how has that impacted the work that you're doing now? One of the main things that completely grabs me is how the before all the filters of right, wrong, good, bad, supposed to be set in and narrow the mind, there's this being with such a wide open consciousness filled with wonder. And so it, what it actually does is it it's contagious. I get I start opening my lenses and feeling more of that sense of curiosity and wonder and freshness just by being in her company. Yes. Yeah, it's it's so true. It's I feel so privileged to just watch this being evolve. And like you said, just see their reactions to things before they know right or wrong. And I, I, I begin to start to reflect on how we then begin to shift. You know, we, we have a place where there's no right or wrong, and then we get into the rules and this desire that we need to fix ourselves and that we need to change ourselves. I think a lot of times when people want to fix themselves or change themselves, it comes from a good intention. Maybe they see a pattern and they think, I want to live my life differently. But how can that intention or that belief that we need to fix ourselves backfire? Well, it usually backfires. And it's usually because it is um, internalized by messages about how we're supposed to be that's different from our natural being. So very early on, we start uh, building these layers of protection and ways of presenting ourselves so that we fit the standards of our caregivers who not because they're bad, but because maybe they're afraid are just, you know, confused end up giving us these ideas that we're supposed to be a certain way to be acceptable and lovable. And that separates us from our naturalness. And then as we keep on developing those layers get more and more solid. And the real suffering is we get identified with our protective layers, those the ways we think we should be and what we're trying to present to the world. And we forget who's looking through. We forget who's behind the mask. We forget, you know, that tender heart and that creative and awake consciousness. So that's that seems to be the suffering to me is that our Efforts to fix ourselves are really based on this message that we're not okay how we are and we should be different. Yes. I know I started my journey and my passion around personal development and self-help from a place of pain and wanting to fix something that I thought was broken. And I remember the first time I was introduced to tapping and the way that it was taught to me was you start with the tapping on the side of the hand and saying the setup statement, which is even though, and you state what you're struggling with and it's, I love and accept myself. So even though I have this problem, I, I love and accept myself or I accept how I feel. I remember being, you know, 20 years old saying that. And it's like, I couldn't get it out of my mouth. Like that idea of, I love and I accept myself when it was first introduced to me was just so hard for me. Why do you feel like it's something that people may have a difficult uh, reaction to when they're first introduced to it. You know, sometimes I, I do an exercise with people and I say, you know, okay, if you really let go of your 
judgments, if you forgave yourself, if you truly accepted yourself just as you are, what is it you would have to feel that is difficult? What, what's in the way? And what people come up with is a sense that, well, if I, you know, tried to let go of my negative stories about myself, then I'd never change. I'd never be the person I want to be. Others would never love me because I would still not be good enough. And so it's, as if the negative, aversive feelings we have are our ways of trying to control ourselves to being the person we want to be. They have a good intention. The, the deep intention is to help us find acceptance and love, but they actually backfire because they keep us from the one path that can really help us to trust and love ourselves, which is in a very, very deep way, bringing a sense of nurturing and kindness directly to our own heart and being. And I too, just like you, Jessica, it was in my 20s when I when I discovered what I've now called the, the trance of unworthiness, that whole cluster of limiting beliefs and feelings believing that in some way I was bad, I was falling short in every relationship, my body was wrong, I was eating too much, I was basically not contributing or of value. And it, it took a number of years of, and, and I suspect a similar path to you with tapping, of again and again coming back really to the, the deep suffering of that and, and gradually learning to, in some way, put my hand on my heart and say, it's okay, sweetheart, you know, really tr trust your goodness. Um, took years. Yes, I'm happy that you say that because there is this idea that if we do something, we'll get a certain result. It's like we, we want instant gratification. And when it comes to this journey of becoming more conscious and evolving, for me, it wasn't overnight. It was, you know, gradually making these shifts until they became more normal. But it had to be part of my everyday life because before that, being in a trance and trying to fix myself was part of my everyday life. That's exactly right. The thoughts are incessant and get reinforced all the time. And we, we kind of, you know, we have this negativity bias that survive, you know, surviving through the ages gave us. And so our brains are designed to fixate on the what's wrong and keep proving our point that we're not okay. So it takes a real conscious intention. And I, I actually remember um, certain key moments in my life when I, you know, when I kind of hit a wall and in some way deepened that intention to wake up from the trance of unworthiness. And they were critical moments. I mean, one of them was when a spiritual teacher um, was really emotionally abusive. And I realized either I was going to believe him and his way of perceiving me, or I was going to deepen that intention to trust myself, to trust the goodness that was here and, and live towards that. So it took it took times of kind of hitting a wall of suffering to get more and more committed at like right at the center of my spiritual life to truly love and embrace this being just as she is. Yeah. It reminds me of I had a a moment like that when I had this mentor. I was 
probably like 19 or 20, I was volunteering at this health retreat and the main speaker there who I absolutely adored and admired at the time um, said to me that no one was going to listen to what I had to say unless I lost weight. And it was what's incredible about that experience is it was a real reflection of the mantra I was telling myself every day. It was almost like I was saying it so much that the universe was like, let me show you this in the real world. And somehow hearing it out loud made me stop and think like, is this what I want to believe? Is this who I am putting all my weight, all my value based on how much I weigh? Wow. That's, that's a powerful one. And what it, it reminds me of is that often it really does take us um, hitting true suffering to in some way wake up this part of us that really wants to heal and wants to become whole. And I know you in your path, you know, you have found tapping as really going right to the essence of that. And I've, you know, in a comparable way, um, been weaving mindfulness and compassion practices, both in, you know, in waking my own being up and also in to expand those circles to really embrace others. And um, in this recent book, Radical Compassion, I introduce the RAIN acronym, uh, which is a weave of mindfulness and compassion that we can apply to when we get stuck. And what I found is that when we're caught in those times of both most being down on ourselves or blaming someone else or just really imprisoned in our emotions, those are the times we most need to bring our deepen our attention and most forget how. Yes. We just forget how. And so what Rain does is it's kind of an easy to remember acronym that can help to guide us back home to a place of compassionate presence. And just uh, for those that are listening, the R of RAIN is to recognize. So, for instance, one of my stuck places some years back, uh, my mom came to live with us, and I was getting really anxious about getting things done and taking care of her. And But I also didn't want to you know, I didn't want her to be alone and feel like I wasn't there for her. So I remember one day doing rain on that anxiety and the R is to recognize, okay, anxious right now. And the A is allow, just let it be there. Don't push it away. Don't try to fix it. Don't, don't blame yourself. Just let it be there. And the I is to investigate, which primarily is in our bodies because, you know, our issues are in our tissues. We really yes. need in our bodies. So feel where, where I'm feeling it. I could sense the belief, which is, you know, I'm failing, I'm falling short, and the fear that, you know, then I won't be close with anybody or have anyone love me if I fail. But in the body, there was a real squeeze. So the eye is to investigate and sense that squeeze. And, and the eye is also to sense what really do I need right now? What does this fear place need? And then the end is to nurture. And this is where once we contact the pain, nurturing actually arises in a, in a much more spontaneous way. And for me, it meant 
putting my hand on my heart and saying, you know, it's okay, sweetheart, and trust your love for your mom and trust, you know, just trust, trust that all the things you're anxious about, it's, you're not going to fail in the deepest ways because you love what you're doing. You love what you're teaching. You love who you're teaching. So the, the after piece of rain, what I call after the rain is just to recognize the quality of presence that has emerged when we take those steps of mindfulness and self-compassion. And for me, it was this kind of space of tender awareness and no longer identified with that, that self that was anxious about failing her mother and anxious about failing her students, but really resting in that field of tenderness. So I'm, I took my time to kind of spell it out, Jessica, because I know that you have a, fam- a kind of similar parallel process of unpacking that, that occurs that actually shifts us from a small identity as a struggling, fearful, anxious, or maybe even inflated self to that very profound sense of being that's really loving awareness. Yes, absolutely. I I loved your book and I was telling my husband about it and I was saying, you know, every time I pick up this book, I notice myself breathing deeper. It's one of those books that's so kind and compassionate. Sometimes you read a book about um, changing your life in some way and you feel like this, the, all the things you have to do. And when I read this book, it really just would bring me back to myself and remind me of what so many of the things in this book reminded me of why I why tapping was my path why it helped me so much that ability to honor how you feel to speak how you feel and really nurture yourself something that like has been helpful for me is I remember like what after I don't know if you ever had this experience but after my first book came out I went through this really tough time because suddenly I was getting a lot of attention that I felt uncomfortable with. And I was speaking to my friend, Cheryl Richardson, and I admitted to her that I wasn't tapping. And I said, I just feel like a fraud. I know that this can help me. And I just am having this anxiety and I'm not doing the things that I know can help. And she told me, you know, Jess, when you are feeling this feeling of, of being seen and being vulnerable, you're not adult Jessica who knows how to tap. You're this little girl who's back in this fear. And she's like, the very first step is simply to acknowledge how you feel and to speak to that little girl, not the adult girl that should should be doing things differently. And so much of when I read your work, I just saw how the connection that, you know, all the things that we know, sometimes the very first step is just putting your hand on your chest and giving yourself some reassurance and some acceptance. It's so true. I I often remark that even before rain, even doing the formal steps of rain, to, to have our reflex be towards nurturing and making ourselves safe and letting whatever be there be there is really critical. And I often um, encourage, you know, especially when we're recognizing how regressed or, or how, you know, stuck we are and how, you know, afraid or ashamed, just to send the message, 
this belongs. Mm. And it doesn't mean that it belongs forever. It doesn't mean we like it and we can even want it to go away. But there's this wise recognition that it's a wave in our ocean. And to, and in the moments of just saying this belongs, uh, space opens up so we can begin to be more in that relationship of, of truly nurturing. And the, the other thing that comes to mind as you speak, because often people say to me, well, I felt really stuck, but I couldn't nurture myself like you know it was like you said I was it was a young child that I was stuck in and the young child can't nurture itself is to know that we can reach out energetically to wherever love and compassion resides in this universe that we have this false notion that to be strong and healed we need to take care of ourselves and it's a delusion because we're not a separate self. We belong to the universe. And when we're stuck and feel separate, we need to reach out to a larger belonging. It might be a, a grandmother that's passed away that we felt held us, or it might be our dog, or it might be a tree that we lean against, or, you know, it might be a spiritual figure. But it's amazing. I know for myself, when I reach out and call some way on the beloved, on some source of, of loving, um, if I'm really sincere and really doing it from a deep sense of longing, there's a kind of porousness and that love does kind of bathe me. It flows in from, it seems like from the outside, but then as I relax and dissolve, it's really my own awake heart, <laughs> but I hadn't had access to it until I reached out. So I just wanted to bring that in and sharing with you and wonder whether that you've experienced that, that sense of reaching out to something that feels beyond and then sensing it was really there and a part of you, but you needed to reach out. Yes, absolutely. And I often, before I go on stage, anytime I always reach out to my grandmothers, they were two strong people and I, I really feel them with me and I feel protected and, you know, I love that this came up because as I was reading your book, I was just jotting down notes of just things I thought would be interesting to discuss and helpful. And I wrote in capital letters, recalling your goodness at a difficult time, which I think that's what you're sharing with us here is, you know, you have a section in your book and part of it was, you know, recall someone. Um, another thing was recall a time when you were kind or generous. So can you can you talk a little bit about those those other strategies of, of recalling our goodness? Yeah, when we're suffering, we're believing something that's not true. We're basically believing in a limited or deficient self. And so how to find our way back to to trusting our goodness is really the the inquiry. And sometimes we can, you know, kind of call on our own wise self. I sometimes call it our future self, you know, because it's really the most evolved expression. And and really, that part of our being can remind us of goodness. And sometimes it's really imagining, like you said, los abuelos, you know, the those the, the, the grandmothers and the, the beings that we trust and know can be wise mirrors for us. And the more we get in the habit of doing that, Actually, we kind of grease the wheel. It's, it becomes a, a pathway that becomes more and more accessible. It's like 
whatever we practice gets stronger. The neural pathways we create by reaching out and having some reflection of our goodness, our reminding ourselves from our future self, that just gets stronger and stronger until we trust the goodness, the, the loving awareness inside us, what I, I sometimes call the gold, more than we believe the old stories. And that really, to me, is the, um, that's a signal of freedom, when we're really trusting that right at the essence of who you and I are, because it's really not my goodness, it's our collective goodness, it's the sacred that's living through all of us, when we trust in that more than we take ourselves to be the conditioning, um, then there's real freedom. And there's also a fearlessness of the heart that comes because when we sense there's that benevolence at a very fundamental level, um, then we're not so afraid of what happens. We don't have to tense against what's around the corner. Yes. Right now in the world we live live in, it seems like we're in this time and place where there's so much focus on what others think. It's like the internet has connected us more than ever before. Um, social media is so much about presenting ourselves to the outside world. I'm curious, do you feel like this is a, a more difficult time to practice this? Do you think it's this as hard as it was before? I mean, what are your thoughts on just this this specific time in our lives where we're facing so much input that our grandparents didn't have? Yeah, there's a lot of evaluating, comparing, judging. And when I do groups on fear, people say their biggest fear is the judgment of others. And then, of course, the other place we get stuck is judging others. Um, we're, I think, in a, a kind of a spike of fear right now on a global level. And, you know, the signs are our governments going much more authoritarian and right wing and tribalism, the increase in, in racism and othering, bad othering. So it's a, um, a lot of dividedness. I think that's what you're pointing to. So. That to me is the challenging news. The good news is there are more people than ever before on the planet who are consciously intending to wake up their consciousness through tapping and through qigong and through yoga and through meditation. And it just, um, it's an amazing juncture of time where human awareness is such that we are aware that we actually can evolve our own consciousness. That's amazing. So I, I think that both are happening. I think our our trajectory is, is an evolving consciousness that is able to include in our hearts, um, like, you know, up until 10 or 20,000 years ago, uh, we could only really include kin and empathy and compassion only included kin in our own hunter-gatherer groups or whatever. And in these last 10 to 20,000 years, there's been a widening so that we can uh, include in compassion non-kin and we can collaborate and really become more of a, a unified world. That's our potential. And we're getting all the kind of kickback and the fear that comes as as those like separate identities start dropping away. So it seems like a time that we need to practice with each other. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, 
yes, the formal practices, tapping and doing, I, I teach people rain partners, which is really, really powerful, intimate kind of way to connect with others. But more generally, we need to compare notes and share where we're vulnerable and share what's waking up so that we can sense we're holding hands because the healing to the fear and the judgment and the self-consciousness you bring up is that deeper sense, Jess, that you you and I were, it's like different body minds, but these beings are um, waking up to one awareness, one heart. And I think when we trust that, we help our world. Yes. What would you say to someone who who hears that, but then they think about the other side, you know, the people who have a different political view or a different stance that they feel are jeopardizing our culture. Um, And there might be some anger or frustration there with these other people. What, what are, what can help us in that situation? What elevates the situation? It's a wonderful question because it's so there, especially right now in 2020. And there's so much uh, contempt towards those who don't agree with us. And there's so much of a sense of anger and dividedness. And we're blaming, we're angrily blaming people who are angry blaming people. And so we are obviously perpetuating the cycle. So your question's super, super relevant. And I'll just share a personal story because I'm certainly working this. (laughs) We all are, yes. Yeah. And um, I remember, and this was, I think, 2003 or something like that, when uh, radical acceptance was coming out and people were asking me, well, how can we radically accept, you know, what's going on in our world? Doesn't that make us doormats and passive? And what was going on politically at that time is uh, the United States was about to invade Iraq. And I would read the newspaper every day and feel a tremendous sense of anger and hatred towards uh, male political leaders who I felt were the hawks that were getting us into war. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this hatred and anger is exactly, you know, what I really don't want to see in the world. So I started a newspaper meditation, which was, I would read, and then feel that that blame and judgment come up. And I'd put down the newspaper and I'd begin, it's this is really, you'll sense the practice of rain with this, I'd recognize, okay, angry, angry, and I'd allow it to be there. And then as I began to investigate, under the anger was fear. I was afraid for, oh, the countless women, men, children, beings from all sides that would be, you know, that would suffer. Um, And fear about that, fear about the, you know, how how there would just proliferate in terms of violence. And then underneath the fears, I really open to the fear because each whatever layer arises, there's a, okay, this belongs, open to it, feel it. Okay, under the fear, there was a real sense of grieving, like just sorrow at the loss that, you know, I could feel that was, you know, unfolding. And then under the grief, there was caring. And if I could open to the caring and just be with that and with real, you know, just that tenderness, then I could act 
in a way out of caring that could be helpful. And as it happens, I ended up along with a number of other um, spiritual leaders and ministers and so on, protesting, getting arrested um, at the White House and being in a paddy wagon with some Nobel laureates and comparing notes. And the cool thing was at this rally, it wasn't angry people shaking their fists you know, feeling hatred towards the political bad guys. It was caring people that were worried about all the suffering that could follow this invasion and be involved with this invasion. And to me, that is really what we need to remember is that real change in our world is going to come out of a change of consciousness. And so if we can take the time to make what I call the U-turn, instead of blaming another person, turn the attention back to our own hearts long enough so we can get underneath the blame to where our caring lives and then act. We have to act. I mean, I, I suspect you feel the same way that there's no division between a spiritual life and societal activism or this this world, this whole world is part of our hearts and we need to engage and do whatever possible to relieve suffering, which includes voting and includes being really out there, yeah. but not from a place of hate and anger. Take the time to come back to that, that heart caring and then act. Yes, that's, that's incredibly powerful. And I, I know that it's easy to get into that anger and almost become dependent on that anger to take action, like this belief that, oh, well, unless I'm really angry, I'm not going to act. And you're really demystifying that. And and like you said, I, I just find, too, anytime I've ever acted out of anger, even if I feel like I'm on the right side of history or, you know, I feel like I have a valid point. I never get my point across. It's not actually effective. It's almost like the being in that stressed state makes us not think clearly and we make decisions that aren't as effective. Oh, beautifully said. I mean, that's exactly right. And if it's in our personal life when we're angry, what's the impact? It's You know that the other person's only going to put up their armor. It's not like you're going to be heard. It's not like it's going to move it towards connection and understanding and healing. So, but the point isn't that um, we need to drop our anger. The point is that, because anger is intelligent. You know, there's a friend of mine, a, a colleague, fellow teacher, Ruth King, who says that anger is initiatory, not transformative. Mm. I think that's so wow. useful because... We need our anger. We need to get energized. We need to know that something is violating what we value and we need to act. But we also need to then let that anger morph into a kind of wisdom where we can act with intelligence, not act in a way that has violence to it. Or just adds to the noise. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That really... Uh, I think I needed to hear that message. Thank you for, for that, Tara. That was um, really beautifully said. There's a question that I like to ask every new guest. Um, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with us something that happened that in the moment was difficult, but ended up becoming a big blessing. Sure, sure. 
I was part of a, a multiracial group uh, of teachers, and we were, you know, planning our next meetings and so on. And I had been sick for quite a while, and I um, said I need to kind of space out the meetings. And one of the African American teachers uh, got really angry at me, and she just questioned my commitment and so on. And I remember getting off that. It was a conference call feeling incredibly hurt and really confused, like, how could she? You know, I was very vulnerable in revealing how sick I was and so on. And doing uh, the, the RAIN process, recognizing and allowing what I was feeling, you know, including my anger and hurt and nurturing myself. And I felt more compassion and I opened my experience to her. But I still kept getting stuck on the, you know, how could she? And I remember talking to uh, another friend of mine, also an African-American woman, and saying, you know, you know, I was so vulnerable and she just came on so heavy. And she said, Tara, what you need to understand is this kind of group and your mission of your group, for you, it's, it's voluntary. And for you, it's, you know, it, it's a good cause. For her, it's life or death. And then I started thinking about her, how her grandson was in jail. And just this was at a time when, you know, it's still happening every day, but it was more visible. Uh, the African-American men on the street being killed. And and wow, it's like, oh, I you know, so when we spoke, she, of course, had done her own work and I had done my own. And we um, really held a space to express both on an individual level and also more on a kind of group identity level, what had happened. And it was so revealing to me, Jess, because, you know, it revealed, first of all, I hadn't even taken into account how, because I'm somewhat of a leader in the group, I was, it was not just, it was white privilege all the way, you know, I was in a much more dominant position. So there was that going on. And how, again, you know, it's very hard to be white and get how much it's a life-death matter uh, being able to uh, fight racism. So, you know, and then I had an experience when I was uh, on a trip soon after, and I was, my husband and I were swimming, and we were swimming out to this island, and boy, I was just, I felt like such an athlete. It was just, I just felt graceful and powerful, and my strokes were rhythmic, and it was fabulous. But coming back, I had a really, really hard time um, and I was struggling and I was, you know, just felt terrible. And I realized that going out, the current had been with me mm. and coming back, I was going against the current. And it was just another level of realizing how as a white woman, I have the currents behind me, you know, carrying me and how so many people in our society don't. And how easy it is to, in our forgetting, actually be participating in the oppression of other groups. So that that was a bit of a longer answer than I had. I wasn't expecting the question, and I didn't know which one I was going to go for as an example. But it really has um, it stayed with me and meant a lot to me. It's it was a beautiful answer, and one of the big takeaways which something I've been reflecting on a lot is that when I hear people uh, hear the word white privilege and kind of object to it, that they haven't actually had a conversation with someone 
that has ex- that's on the other side that's going against the current there's such a separation in this country that unless you really are listening to those who feel oppressed you can't make the assumption as to whether it exists or not and it's a beautiful reminder of the importance of of listening you know we're in a position where we can choose to listen or not because we're privileged uh, and other people don't have that same privilege but we have to make that decision to kind of put our own ideas, our own ego aside and and simply listen to an experience that we are not familiar with. I'm right there with you. In fact, if you think of really what cultivates a liberating compassion, it's proximity. We, we have to get near enough so we can sense the vulnerability of other beings. And we tend to stay in our comfort zones. So it means for those in the dominant groups to on purpose, expose and get close in to those that are having a challenging time to really, really understand it. And what motivates that, you know, it's not some abstract idea of being a good spiritual person. It's that we can't be free if we're living in a small identity that unconsciously assumes itself to be superior. We're not living from wholeness, connectedness, and awakeness. So it's really for the sake of our own enriching and enlarging and connecting in the deepest ways that that we, on purpose, find that more intimate connecting with people of difference. Yes. Wow. Tara, I, I was a little nervous about this interview because I love your work and I love your book, and I felt like I could talk about so many different things. And I feel really grateful because it seems like this conversation was guided by something bigger than the two of us. So I, I, <laughs> I had no I had no sense of where we'd go either, but <laughs> I could feel us kind of, you know, in a very organic way um, dancing. So this is good. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for dancing with me and congratulations on your new book, Radical Compassion. Where can people pick it up and stay in touch with you? They can pick the book up wherever books are sold. Stay in touch with me by going on my website, tarabrock.com. And if you get take get on my email list, um, it's not it's not an oppressive email, but you will find out about different online courses and offerings and resources to support you on the path. Wonderful, Tara. Thank you so much. It's a total pleasure, Jessica. 